When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Club Scouts, Michael Bryce and Riley here. We're back with another BCC classic, and this is what you might call a neo-classic. <laughs> cool. It's an episode from earlier this year. Uh, it's another expert episode. This time we sat down with Monster Quest producer Doug Hycheck. None of us had ever spoken with him. This was a guest that Bryce yeah. invited on the show. Yeah. And, and we weren't really honestly sure how it was going to go, but Doug was so cool this this guy has like invented like underwater cameras he's shot the giant squid that was almost undiscoverable he's been attacked by a sasquatch in his cabin with his family yeah. people he, yeah he's so compelling and he frankly just blew our minds uh, with that insane close encounter mm. that he that you just mentioned uh you guys are gonna love this episode doug is definitely a guest that we will have back on the show in the <laughs> we future. only scratched the tip of the iceberg with this guy <laughs> let me tell you I uh, certainly hope so, because this was the episode I was probably the most bummed to miss. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. We, yeah, we, yeah. we didn't have Riley for this episode, so now you're finally part of the episode, Riley. I so. made it. I made it to the cut, guys. <laughs> um, all right. Well, without further ado, here is the, sadly, Riley-less episode 195, Capturing the Unknown with Doug Hycheck. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests. And guess what? Today, we've got an amazing guest uh, and share personal stories of high strangeness. I don't remember what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> Have you done this before? <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm, my head is spinning from the conversation that we just had that our listeners. No are doubt. Here. Um, I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And uh, unfortunately, super producer Riley Bray is absent this week. He's flying in an airplane over uh, the Bermuda Triangle. So let's hope that he makes it <laughs> safely. Um, speaking of weird shit, which is what we do on this show, I got a question for you. Have you seen that news story that's going around this past week about the weird spiral shaped cloud with tentacles in Alaska? This isn't no. a BCC news story, but... Um, there's this there's this weird story that came out of Alaska. I've been seeing it on Instagram. People have sent it over to me of this weird funnel cloud that people thought was like smoke from a plane crash coming off a mountain in Atla in Alaska. And right. then it turned out to be this weird cloud formation, but it looks like it has these like tentacles. Ooh. End of it. I'm gonna see if I can send it over to you. This wasn't planned, by the that way. Sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Um, some people think it's just like a really weird contrail from a plane that made a very strange shape because of the time of day in the atmosphere. 
but it's it's very strange. A lot of people think it's some sort of like alien squid formation in the sky. Yeah. Well, that includes me too. I mean, I think I think our fans know where I'm going to land. So yeah, I don't even need, you know what I don't even need to see a picture. It's great, alien. Great. That's extraterrestrial um, right there. Well, I'll throw up. I'll, I'll put that up in the uh, uh, in the Instagram. People can take a look at it. But if you Google Alaska weird cloud thing, you'll you'll it'll pop up. Um, so this week we're sitting down with producer, writer, and director Doug Highcheck from Monster Quest, uh, and a lot more. He's more than just the producer of Monster Quest. Oh yeah, totally. This guy is an inventor, entrepreneur. Uh cryptozoologist he does it all <laughs> and was has been a subject of high strangeness on this very show yes, yes. uh with the Snowgrove lake incident which we covered oh boy i'm That's gonna right. say it's been at least three years ago now um a, a famous bigfoot encounter which doug talks about in our chat with him uh listen we should just not delay this any further we should get get to it but unfortunately we do have to do some quick club housekeeping want to remind you guys don't forget to order your bcc records shirts featuring the logos of club bryce wolf brother and bj and the shadow bats all lovingly designed by james maholland and all three of these shirts are available now in the bcc merch shop so just click the link in the episode description of this podcast or click the link in our bio on instagram at bigfoot collectors club or over at twitter at bigfoot pod do us a favor, be a loyal club scout, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help spread Bigfoot Collectors Club to new listeners. If you do, we might read it on the air, like this one. This is from TMV, who writes, The Boys. I instantly perk up when I realize it's Wednesday and I'm able to listen to my boys. Their banter and camaraderie is like no other, and melding humor with serious topics is a genuine talent. Five stars. Thank you, TMV. Uh, you're part of the club. You're a club scout now. You're one of them boys. That's right. And don't forget, you can always support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club and becoming a member of The Other Side. For a $5 yeah. monthly pledge, you'll receive a minimum of three bonus episodes every month and a shout-out right here on the show. Now, what happens on the other side, you may ask? Well, let's see. More high strangeness, mm -hmm. uh, more Riley, uh, campfire yeah. stories, Bryce's secret stash video investigations where we look Love at videos those. that yeah. Bryce brings in and Riley and I just <laughs> shit all over them. <laughs> Movie and TV club. Uh, yes. Going over uh, a new season of Expedition Bigfoot, all yes. kinds of stuff. And you said it's for what? Like the price of a grande latte or something? Oh, like boy. That? It's less than a gallon of gas right now, is there what it go. is for there an entire go. month, at least out <laughs> much less out here in, in California. Um, and of course, we're going to be continuing our watch of Twin Peaks over there periodically. Right. We'll be doing it in, in chunks. Gotta say, I love the response. I was a little, you know, that's the first time we've basically done a TV club episode over here no. on no, the main the, feed. The Club Scouts backed you, dude. I, I, I was, heard it loud and clear. They're like, fuck yes, Twin Peaks. Let's get into this now. I was worried. I was worried like, oh boy, are people going to feel like this is enough, you know? And no. 
Um, I was excited to see how many people were actually like, all right, you convinced me. I'm going to get into this. I'm going to watch. So now we have an obligation to the new (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, And also at the $9 level, still less than two, two gallons of gas, you'll get weekly cosmic tracks from Riley featuring music from the show and some original stuff from Riley that you will not hear anywhere else. And again, all of that can be found exclusively on the other side at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. All right, enough with all this housekeeping. <laughs> Let's hear our talk with Doug Hycheck. Our guest this week is a super producer with over 270 TV features under his belt, including the hit series Monster Quest for the History Channel, as well as the groundbreaking documentary Sasquatch Legend Meets Science. He also served as tech director and consultant for Les Stroud's TV series Survivor Man Bigfoot and has been dubbed the camera explorer by journalists due to his incredible ability to invent and implement new camera systems like the time in 2006 when he developed the Trojan Squid Cam used to film the world's first free-swimming giant squid in the Sea of Cortez. At 54 feet long, it's the first and only film of a living Arctuthis duck species in the wild. He's a true maverick of cryptozoology. Please welcome to the show, Doug Highcheck. Hey guys, how are you? Doug. Good, Doug, how's um, it going, man? Wow, you are clearly the most professional <laughs> guest we've ever had on this show. We are outclassed. That's not saying much, guys. That's not saying much. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it's, it's not it is exactly not what my children would tell you. Oh my god. How many how many kids do you have, Doug? Six. Wow, no way. Oh, that's almost incredible. one for each squid tentacle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've got I've got six kids, and you know most of them are grown up. I've got one, just about to leave the nest. Here is turning eighteen in a few days, and God, glory be! <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's been a, great though. A, a feat of its own right. You know, that's really just sort of the the tip of the iceberg when it when it comes to all your accomplishments. And you know, Doug, I I definitely cannot wait to talk to you about Bigfoot tonight, and which we definitely yeah. will. But I want to start by asking you, what is your background, and why the hell have you accomplished so much? Well, my background is basically just somebody who was probably born a little too curious. I drove <laughs> my parents crazy. I was the kid that at two, I was like Dennis the Menace. You know, I was. Digging holes in the backyard, digging up window wells, doing this. I, I was the kid that ran away and played at the creek all day. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I was just, I was that kid. And I wanted to know everything. And then my dad um, kind of nurtured it, I guess, because he would, he would take me on these watching the world go by trips hmm. and just to kind of observe things. And I would ask him questions, whether it was to a creek or just on the front stoop of the house. And so I just became real curious. And then as I got a little bit older, I literally in the summer would never, I I refused (laughs) to sleep in the house. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. No, no, like never. Like, so I would leave, (laughs) I would leave as soon as the weather got a little bit warmer, I would leave and I would never 
come back, you know, as far as sleeping in the house, I'd be gone sometimes three, four days. Oh my God. Wow. My parents would trust me and I'd be out in the woods and wherever. Where did you and, grow up? Um, up in the northern suburbs of uh, Minneapolis, okay. which in the 60s were just forests. Wow. And, yeah. you know, creeks and hunting shacks. And they were just starting to build the suburbs, you know. <laughs> Um, I mean, so I used to play pretty... in a sewer sometimes. Uh, not the same. Well, not only not did the I same thing. <laughs> okay, not only did I play in the sewers, oh, I no. mapped. I traveled in all of them oh, and gosh. had them all mapped. Yeah. Oh. So I think I we all. I think all of us at one point clearly played in the sewer because I definitely <laughs> remember one summer where we mapped out the sewer sewer drainage pipes that ran over the road next to my suburb. So we've all done it. <laughs> we've all done so, so in the wintertime, I could travel in these underground ca- caverns, wow. and I would go <laughs> miles and miles. I'm not talking like I would pop out in another city. Oh my god, young kid. <laughs> I think yeah. I've, I think I've said this before. My mom used to make me do this thing called a check-in. So I was able to leave the house and go yeah. wherever I wanted. But in 10 minutes, I had to step back into the back screen door and yell check-in. So oh, I would get as far as I could go. And then I would have to come back and I would literally just yell check-in. And then I would try and bicycle off as far as I could get again. But I could never get too far. I could only get five minutes away. It sounds like you were traversing all was, over. You were taking sabbaticals at the age of eight. <laughs> I, I don't want. I don't want to give you the impression my parents didn't care because they were just like the two greatest parents ever. I love my mom. Love my dad. My yeah. dad was my best friend. But when he was, my dad was a kid, and I I don't have any proof, but he claims he went from Minnesota to Texas at seven years old in an old Model T with his buddy who wow. was like one year older. Oh my god. <laughs> Smoking Whoa. Cherry Hills the whole way. That's this amazing. Is back, yeah, back in the nineteen you know twenties or whatever. God. Wow. And he claims, you know, and he told me all, I mean, millions of stories from that trip. And he always lived off the thing where if I stayed out of trouble, which I always did, mm. there was never any trouble with the law or any neighbors or you know anybody ever reporting on me, then I could have my freedom. Wow. And, never, um, never had a run-in with a tornado that maybe led to like a sure. Tin Man, a cowardly lion. <laughs> I mean, sounds like well, you're going on some real adventures. No, we did, and it never ended. And I was like the only kid ever who ever had any ideas on you know crazy things to do. Like I mm. would say, "Hey, let's um, grab, let's throw some logs together, and we'll float down the Mississippi River." And we'd end up going, you know, seventy-five, hundred miles at age eight. Wow. No life jackets, no anything. And we'd somehow, you know, we'd have a few little change and we'd call, call my dad. He'd pick us up. You know, <laughs> you know um, there were things like, oh, I could write a book on all the crazy That's so stuff. Great. Please do. So, this sounds incredible. Where, well, where actually, are you, son? I'm down river about there, there is, four days. There is, a guy, there is a guy actually writing a book in my life right now. And it's already so thick. And um, he's interviewing me and recording my stories. I don't know if it'll ever get done, but uh, maybe it will. Man, I was just I mean, impressed that my parents let me like cross the busy road to go see my best friend on my bicycle. I would have I loved to take a river raft down down yeah, the well, Mississippi. You guys sound young. You guys sound young. 
<laughs> well, we're still we're not as young. We I mean We've I turned think a we're corner both, or two. <laughs> yeah, we're both lucky that we still grew up in the age, you know, where my nephew, who's now eighteen, is like, Man, I wish I grew up in the eighties like you did in the nineties and could just hit you know, cause he watched Stranger Things and he thought that's like all yeah. he did, you know, every summer yeah. was like ride our bikes around and beat, you know, uh defeat interdimensional entities. But uh um, we're still lucky to kind of have that a little bit of that freedom on a Saturday afternoon or in the summer. That seems to be the last vestige of it, doesn't it? Right around that, uh, you know, eighties, uh, middle nineties. Yep. So, so if you guys would hung out with me and we were kids, I would do, I would say things like, Hey, let's walk to Brainerd. You got to realize Brainerd was 110, <laughs> 10 miles away. <laughs> And I would, and I would walk in and maybe say my, say to my dad, I'd say, Hey, we're going to walk to Brainerd. He'd say, okay, have fun. You know, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even lower his newspaper. (laughs) We would leave and you know, we'd be gone a week and a half. And these other kids, no doubt lied to their parents and where they were. They probably said, Oh, I'm taking a vacation with the high checks, you know, and we're going to Yellowstone. Oh, and they probably, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, a lot of line went on. And it's just kind of like, don't ask, don't tell. Uh, But we would do things like that. And, you know, those are some amazing memories. But as I got older and being out in the wild so much, I started wondering what goes on in the areas I can't see. Mm. What's happening below that river, this new river that I've stumbled upon or this lake or, you know, whatever. And then I started thinking about that. And it's like, let's start trying to find out information and in many cases, it was lacking. There just wasn't any. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I can figure out a way to do it. Like an example, I built um, the world's first under the world's first permanent underwater camera system that was going to be live on the internet. And I dropped, put it in the lake bottom of Lake Superior. And of course, I didn't just build a little you know, put a camera in there. I built this big giant thing called the Benthic Explorer. It had 360 cameras. It had microscopic cameras. It had naval multi-frequency lighting, which I think was top secret at that point. Um, and it had a fish feeding system and had sage meters. It had um, copepod collection traps. It, you know, it, it just had all these things. It had speakers um, Doug, so what we could, exactly were so we you looking pull. for in uh, in Lake Superior, if you don't mind? I was asking. just looking for what goes on when no one's around, not yeah. like a diver going right. in there and disturbing the environment. I'm talking 24-7. What happens at 2 in the morning, you know, at the bottom of Lake Superior? Is there some mm. things, some cycles of life? I just didn't buy into what I – I didn't buy into anything I was reading. And so, of course – Day one, we, 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 we start witnessing a vertical migration of shrimp hmm. in Lake Superior. Mice's shrimp. Nobody knew anything about mice's shrimp. We started um, documenting what they're eating. Nobody knew. Wow. We started seeing different copepods, microscopic life, and when they came active and what time of day and, and how they were affected by this, the seiche, which is an inland tide. That happens in literally all lakes, but in Lake Superior, it's quite dramatic, but no one had ever seen it. And so I built these flotation tubes that I, and I had a special camera that could watch these flotation tubes lean, you know, to the left and then to the right with the, these, the tide, you know, to see how long the, the tide, you know, headed north. 
and in Lake Superior, and we could document all that. And so we had that in for a whole year. But I'm building this thing in my garage, and of course the neighbors think I'm crazy already. <laughs> you know, yeah, are you uh, ten years old as you're building this? I assume. <laughs> no, 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 no. But <laughs> no, I but the neighbors like always thought I was crazy. And, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I got this crazy, all this crap going on all the time. But you know, they come over. What are you doing? Oh, I'm building a camera system that's going to collect all this data in Lake Superior. Oh, okay. And they walk out. Um, and then they would, of course, see it on the news at some point, you know, and they'd see a big research ship, you know, and helicopters and divers. Because <laughs> I would suck all these people into my world from wow. enthusiasm, just enthusiasm. Not yeah. that I was, you know, some great salesman, but I was passionate. And I would yeah. find all these different people to get sucked into this this study and it would get bigger and bigger. You know, the whole thing would just get out of control eventually. And, um, and I, I, those are the kinds of things I would love doing and just kept doing them and doing them. Well, and, and you would, and you what, would, I was going to say you would, you would, you would continue to do that throughout your life because, you know, you developed not oh, God, just yeah. that camera, but so many others. I, I just, I want to name a few here just, uh, you know, for the people listening, Doug has, uh, you know, been involved in the creation and invention of the deep sea cam, the holographic lens, photoreal game trail camera wraps, the oil capture cam, instant shark cam, wild dog cam, hog cam, rat cam, underwater lure cams, <laughs> underwater birth cam, beaver lodge cam, bear cam, forward reverse high speed underwater camera system, and of course, the Trojan giant squid cam, which your team used to film. The world's first free swimming giant squid. And, you know, those aren't just names. I've like, I looked at each one of those cameras and they're all like intricate in their own right. And they all do very special tasks. What is now, your obsession hog, with cameras, Doug? I got to oh, ask, go. though. I got to ask, though, Doug, hog cam, rat cam. Are you just putting cameras on hogs and rats? <laughs> what, what are you doing? Well, basically, but they're, but they're very, very unique because yeah. it's a very unique animal. Like, for instance, um, you know, I was the first person to put a camera on wild dogs to see where are they going? Wow. Feral dogs, where do they live? How do they live their life? Because they got to make a living, you know, in the city. And nobody really knows. You know, they, they think they know, but they don't really know. Mm-hmm. And um, I love doing things. And like, I've got a new, I've got a new great white shark cam I just got done with and developed. And I haven't used it yet, but already I've met some filmmakers that want to use it. How are you, you going to get the camera on that shark? Well, this is what's cool. I don't even, we don't even have to touch the shark. It goes on the shark automatically. How? So, <laughs> so okay. So we, we you let quick, don't get worry two, about that, Michael. <laughs> yeah, no, we get two boats, you know, two, two boats and we lure a great white shark in, which isn't that hard to do in between the boats using okay. chum oh, and yeah. a drag line. So then the, the shark comes in, I just drop this giant vest on it. And it goes on in its gravity, and then it reconnects at the bottom using um, neodymium magnets. And then it has, you know, of course, the camera and the batteries. And then after I can set it for any amount of days, and the um, the uh, thing that holds the camera on and the vest on um, dissolves after oh. you pick one, two, three, four, five days. It so dissolves, cool. floats to the top, sets off a signal. Oh and my then it can God. be recovered, then you can get the footage. And yeah, people have put cameras on great whites, but they're they're almost killing them and then putting the camera on them. Yeah. Um, they're catching them on a hook 
dragging them up on 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 the boat, traumatizing them. You know, there's blood. Every, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now they, they're expecting the shark attack normal. Yeah. So that's, sounds that's like a, try. Sounds like what happens when you try to get Bryce out of his trailer on set. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so, D- Doug, I mean, these are. I know you've been, you know, exploring things of the known universe. When did you start to get interested a little bit in cryptozoology or, or you know, creatures and and oh, animals that dude. were s- supposed to be uh, living, but nobody really had proof? When did and and tell us about that? You know, how you captured the giant squid and took it from the annals of legend to the books of science. That's an amazing thing. Well, um, boy, it's kind of a long, it's a long story that's all connected yeah. in some weird ways. In fact, this book this guy's writing is called Monsters and Messengers because there's been a, a, a lot of coincidences that have happened to me that, and I can tell one, just one really weird story. Okay. When yeah, I first yeah, got into, into the, if you guys want, you know, like different information out of me, I'm willing to give it. <laughs> so, oh, great. Great. Good. Yes. Okay. So. I wanted to get into the TV business and you might ask, well, why? I just, cause I wanted to, um, I just thought it would be a really cool business. And I invented a polymer that allowed me to retire, basically have enough money where I could live, pay my bills. And I didn't have to do the normal day to day job. Right. So I could get now into the TV business. So that's going on. And I just decided to get into the TV business and I, I'm looking for someone to basically film a, a show on spec. I was working with some WWF wrestlers. And we had this idea for an outdoor show, you know, some of these. And these guys are great. They're great stuntmen. They're, 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 a lot of them are brilliant. And I was working yeah. with a number of them. Uh, Mr. Perfect was one of them. He was yeah. my main partner. <clears throat> right. Um, okay. So I wanted someone to do um, t- TV on spec. So I ran an ad basically in L.A., a guy responded, said he would be happy to do a pilot, you know, totally on spec, pay me when we we sell it. So the guy, and I asked him, I said, well, when I finally met him and he had all this equipment, I just asked him, well, how did you afford all this stuff? Back then it was big money. And he said, well, I had a hit record at one time in the 60s. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. So he teaches me the business. We film our pilot. He's teaching me how to edit, shoot, all this stuff. Super great guy. And then when I finally landed another TV show, my first interview was with a guy who lived on Lake Superior up in Minnesota. Remember, hmm. one guy's from L.A., one guy's from Minnesota. And I, and the guy lived in a big mansion on Lake Superior. And I said to him, I said, well, Jesus, amazing homes. Must have cost, you know, millions of dollars. Where did you make all your money? You know, what, what's, what's the deal? He goes, well, he said, I had a hit record in the 60s. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's weird. I, I swear to God, I heard that same story at one point. Anyhow, one day I was over at the other Greg's house. These guys both named Greg, right? And and I said to him, I said, do you know Greg Bambanek? And he goes, yeah, he was in our, he was in our band. He was our bass player. Wow. I said, you're <laughs> kidding me. I said, what are the chances that I meet both of you guys independently from this band called Michael and the Messengers? Hmm. Wow. And, um, Serendipitous, and, and, he, man. and I go, when's the last time you talked to Greg? He goes, 
oh my God, 30, 40 years. You know, we lost touch. I said, just a second. I called him one Greg and I hand him the phone. But so that's just one example of coincidences. Both these people had a mm. huge effect on my life. Yeah. Wow. And then I ended up becoming really good friends with Greg Bambanek, who actually was the guy who even developed the, the um, Bigfoot scent chips. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. I can, I could tell you a, a ton of coincidences, even with these two guys. Right. It's... But Greg ended up doing a number of monster quest shows. We ended up doing a lot of projects together, including the Benthic Explorer, because he was one of the scientists that was doing research using the Benthic, hmm. you know? Right. So what's a um, Bigfoot I'm... sense? Well, I'm sorry. What did you call it? A Bigfoot sense? The pheromone yeah. sense. Like have a you pheromone. Heard of the, uh... Oh, Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. I was thinking uh, S-E-N-S-E, not S-C-E. Well, these are, yeah. these are these sex sex pheromones that a lot of researchers have been using for the last 20 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. My, and, Michael, um, Doug is like old school. He he helped Michael uh, uh, Fenner-Herrenbach develop the, uh, the gold standard for Bigfoot hair. Uh, am I yeah, saying his go. name right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, legend meets science. Doug is intricately connected to Bigfoot research and, and the phenomenon. It's yeah, I go, I go it's back incredible, to the man. It's, um, I remember, you know, obviously with John Green, we used to talk almost every day on the phone. Wow. To give an example. Um, you know, That's a trip. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had a lot I of I know you old... knew Peter Byrne as well and all no, these. No, I've these... never met Peter. Oh, that's right. Personally, right. but... Peter definitely played a role in my early, my first Bigfoot experience because he was the first person I contacted when I was up in the Arctic and found footprints, which leads me to my interest in Bigfoot. Well, so I I was up in the Arctic doing another wildlife show and I had seen a six foot long lake trout, saw it with my own eyes. It was chasing probably a 40 inch lake trout that I was reeling in. And this other one was 72 inches. And the guide saw it. We wow. all saw it in the boat. And I go, oh, my God. That was like, I, mean, I, I thought it was a guy swimming in the water after my fish. Mm-hmm. When it was that big. It looked like a man. And um, he goes, oh, we see those. We see those all the time. But he said they're too big to catch. So then I started thinking about, well, how did this one trout get so big? And then I came to the conclusion that it just got out of its niche. You know, because I had read about fish and you know how some fish the only way they ever get big is to get out of their niche and i think it was the linders that it was a book i had read on fisheries that they had first coined that Hmm. for big northern pike and so i remembered that and thought oh maybe this trout just got out of its niche it's probably a female never laid eggs never bred just stays down at the bottom and becomes a cannibal yeah well and then I, I went back up to the Arctic to actually get footage of one of these giant behemoths, brought a fisheries biologist up there. And then we had stopped just to go, okay, once again, a coincidence. I had to pee at the exact right time. <laughs> so, so Nature called. Brother now. A, yeah, 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 but it called me. Another synchronicity. But, but it was that exact reason that changed not only my life, but I could tell you countless thousands and thousands of other wow. people. Yeah. And so that's kind of weird if you think about it. So I have to go to the bathroom, decide it's too windy and too rough on the lake because we're on this really big lake. Lake, We're on Selwyn Lake. And um, 
You know what, Doug? I'm going to stop you right there, right? As you're about to take a potty break, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out what it was that you saw in the Arctic that changed not only your life, but countless others. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with Doug Hayacek. Doug, so you're in the Arctic. You're... You're going to the bathroom at a synchronicitous time, Wolf Brothers style. Now, what is it that you see that has changed your life and so many others? Yeah. So anyhow, yeah. Speaking of breaks, of course, yeah, I wanted to go to shore because I didn't want, I didn't want to pee all over myself from the the wind (laughs) and the waves. So we go to shore, find a nice little calm bay, pull in. And it's kind of like, almost like the Caribbean in some parts of the Arctic. It's very sandy, sand eskers very gin clear water, kind of like you'd find in the Caribbean. Um, and we get out of the boat and hear our footprints coming out of the, out of the lake. Yeah. Literally like something either swam yep. and then, wow. you know, walked. it came out of the lake, walked through the sand where you can get the clearest footprints, went into the pea gravel where they were really deep. Um, then in, into the moss where, the, you know, the tundra type um, moss, that's quite soft, but they were very, very deep. And then in front of a tree that was a stunted black spruce tree, one footprints in front and one footprints directly behind it, which mm. meant it walked over the tree. Wow. wow. And at that point, I am very familiar with bear tracks. I knew they weren't bear. Everybody knew they weren't bear. Um, we tried to duplicate the depth. And it was even damp and raining. It was drizzling when we were there. Wow. We couldn't even come close. We had a 300-pound guy who jumped off a rock yeah. and couldn't even, couldn't even put a dent in the pea gravel. Um, then we went beyond those trees, and there in the horizon with a straight line of these tracks really far apart. And uh, obviously, I, I came back. I did a story for the news up there because I had a journalist with me. We filmed a story called uh, Mysteries of the North that ran on a, uh, an NBC affiliate in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, now, had you, heard, had you heard of, I mean, what, what did you think when you saw those prints? I mean, had you heard of, or did you know, obviously, about Bigfoot? I mean, what were you thinking when you saw that? Well, at one point, we were actually thinking dinosaur. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, we're not, yeah, you got to realize how big these tracks were and how deep. Were they three-toed? Do they appear to be three-toed? No, no, no. no. They had five toes. But for some reason, Bigfoot never jumped into my brain. Yeah. I think it's where we were, you know. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, we're so far north and, you know, there are not many trees. And I didn't really think, you know, I didn't know a ton about Bigfoot at that point. Very little. um, I'd seen the Patterson footage, you know, when I was a kid. But that was about it. Um, But. Then I went back and looked at the ones in the sand and I photo, you know, I filmed all those tracks. Um, and I would love to get my finger, you know, hands on that footage again, but the news, they recycle all the footage. Right. So to them, right. it was just another dumb news story and they just, you know, threw it in their, bin when it was over. But anyhow, so then when I went back and then I started thinking, God, this looks like human, but giant. And then I'm start thinking, I'm starting to think Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember after we saw the tracks going over the tree, I remember, I think there was one or two people in our party that said, it's time to go. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. Right. Yeah. That they literally did not want to run into whatever made those tracks. So I came back and I just, once again, then the curiosity kid I was came to say, yeah, I want I mean, answers. This is, this, this is the ultimate curiosity exactly. quest right you're exactly. like okay i mean this is like the holy grail uh, of undiscovered because because this is a link to who we are this is this is part of our own human story whether it's our past or our our present or even our future you know i i can only imagine how must have you know seeing those tracks took a hold of of you i mean because yeah, my did. interest in bigfoot only came from just watching a cool tv show probably like one you would have produced like you know in search <laughs> of seeing leonard nimoy talk about yeah. the patterson yep. gimlin but to see it out in the wild and in the forest and fresh tracks like that must have really made for lack of a better word an impression on you oh it did i mean the whole thing was um it was definitely life-changing yeah. and then i get a hold of matt after I got, after I'd send the, I sent a tape, a VHS tape to Peter Byrne of mm. the tracks. And he wrote back, he got back to me and he said, and he mentioned something that there was a sighting near that lake in wow. like the 1800s that he had documented. Wow. This is Matt Moneymaker from the BFRO. No, no, well, no, Peter Byrne first. Peter Byrne. Oh, no. Oh, you, about a sighting. oh yes, I sent, yes. I sent the tape to Peter and then That's I got a hold of Matt. I see. Yeah. Um, and then Matt's like, and then Matt's is so matter of fact, you know, if you obviously, you know about Matt and you know, Matt, he's like, oh, these things are anywhere. There's woods, water and hills. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> and he's filling me in and he's doing the mat on me. And he's just, he, he really got my interest. I like, oh my God. So Matt, my interest went from really crazy to like yeah. beyond crazy. That, that's the thing about this subject, I think, is, you know, there's this surface layer of knowing about Bigfoot. But once you really start to look into it, it just it gets deeper and deeper. And, you know, there's so much credible information, evidence, testimony about it yeah. that you can only be lured in by just the believability factor in and of itself. One thing I love about you, Doug, is, you know, you 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 are a very scientific minded guy, but. I also, you know, think you're a guy who doesn't dismiss what I call the stranger aspects of Bigfootery. No, I don't. No. You know, and 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 I guess I kind of want to ask you what what do you think about all these these strange things that seem to be commonly associated with Bigfoot, whether it's whether it's these orbs of light, this idea of camouflage yeah. or cloaking, or or even this idea of of mind speak. Um, you know, being able to communicate just from mind to mind. W what's right. going on here, do you? Well, think? you really dumped out all the Legos there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Bryce. Yeah, good, good job, well, Bryce. I, I saw the clock running, and I was like, "Damn, we only have so much time. We got to bust into this one." <laughs> well, first off, I'm willing to go as long as you guys. If you want to do a little part two, so oh, don't man. worry about me. That's um, great. Okay, so, um, first off, I've never experienced any mind speak. Hmm. But I know like guys like um even Les Les Stroud has kind yeah. of talked a little bit about something he thinks maybe. I don't think he's definite on it, but you know, he's experienced something. Um other people have, you know, that I know have experienced things. Certainly I've talked to people who have experienced extreme fear, like 
like they're in the woods and they're chopping wood or they're whatever. And they're hearing this voice saying, you need to get out of the woods now. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and I don't discount any of that. I'm open-minded. I've, I've only had um, a couple of things that I can't explain. I've definitely experienced their wrath, like the force that seems supernatural strength. Hmm. You know, I've been in cabins that have been lifted off the foundation and rocked, which seems supernatural almost. Like how in the world can a primate be that strong? So it almost feels like it's a poltergeist or something rocking the house or lifting the house from its foundation. It just makes you question your own sanity Mm -hmm. because you're like, how can a cabin that's up on, yeah, it's up on blocks. Yeah. But how can a creature be that big and strong? Well, and then I go, I kind of oscillate back and forth. I go, well, yeah, you realize how, you know, a chimpanzee is 10 times stronger than we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and can grab somebody and, you know, tear their hand off. Um, yeah, right. And but, so but then you start thinking. I, I feel you. You're asking, how could it be so strong? How do these tracks end in right. the middle so, of nowhere? But, how could there be, you know, 25 different subspecies of these creatures all over the world and on every right. continent, you know? Well, I just how, like to ask questions. Yeah, so I like to yeah. answer these, these doubts or questions with questions. Right. How can it be? I was in a cabin one time with my son, my daughter, and my best friend. And the cabin got shoved so hard that the bed that I was in, including my daughter's bed, flew away from the wall. That's okay. This now, is where was this? Cabin. This is up in like the edge of the Boundary Waters canoe area. Wow. It's another and cabin, another remote were... cabin we were doing research at. Wow. And you that were there cabin doing got research shoved so hard because of that the wow. bed moved away from the wall. I've never heard my daughter swear ever. <laughs> that night she looked at me and said, what the F? Mm-hmm. <gasps> wow. And she was like 10. Now, did you get a sense when you're in a situation like that, which sounds absolutely terrifying, are you getting the sense that this thing wants to come in and get you or is telling you to get out? I think it's more of a grand finale of strength. Mm-hmm. They seem to, at the, I don't care if you're in a tent, I've experienced all of the above. Every, you know, kind of, I've been in campers when this has happened. I've been in tents. I've been sleeping out on the ground, just, you know, no tent. I've been, you know, I've experienced this grand finale, video, which is to kind of screw with you, screw mm-hmm. around with your camp, and then, Right as the moment they're leaving, they do the, you know, like the gorilla slaps the window and runs. Yeah. We've right. all seen footage of that. That's what they seem to do. Like, oh, really? You want to see how strong I am? Bam. But I'm out of here because I don't want to have a confrontation. Right. I don't want you to come out and shoot me. Or I don't want, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm afraid of you. And so I think they operate on fear. And so, no, I don't, I don't think that they would come in and, you know, kill me. I don't think I ever really felt, well, I, I can't say that. At Snellgrove, I actually felt like I was going to die. And I thought my, do- my my daughter, Dakota, was in danger at that time. And that we were uh, all in danger. That but was yet, that cabin, the, the one yes. with, the, with the bed. Yes. But at the yeah. end, we all walked away. 
So we we did an episode for our listeners. We did an episode of High Strangeness on the Snellgrove Lake incident, where oh, okay. you and Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, yeah. you know, were researching Bigfoots in the literally in the middle of nowhere, and it was you know sort of uh, using this cabin or, or whatnot. But it's an incredible story. I just it so so amazing. Um, Let's see. What was I gonna? What was I gonna say with that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, to me, you know, this thing of not harming humans because there's been so many encounters. It's to me, it sort mm. of represents this high sign of intelligence. Almost maybe, you know, if these creatures are intelligent and gather in social groups, like I think they may, if they're flesh and blood creatures, then perhaps there was this pact agreed not to harm humans. You know, right. or at least in a way that they could catch you because. There is this nefarious phenomenon of people going missing in in these national forests, and maybe there's something there on the other side of the coin that says, you know, maybe these creatures can harm. I mean, I don't know, but I know there's something going on there. Right. For for all we know, there's a certain time of year the males get really aggressive and protective, Mm. or maybe it's, um, you know, one individual that just roams around and it's a killer. Right, right. Because you're gonna realize, okay, let's let's take black bears. Well, we have like Minnesota's got forty thousand black bears, about give or take ten thousand. So, so we have a bunch of black bears, but yet most years go by, and there's no black bear attacks, and that's a lot of black bears, right, to avoid mm-hmm. attacking people. But there's bluff charging. There's things that they do, the teeth clacking. They'll blow at you. And some people will shoot them thinking they're about to be attacked, but they're not. Um, They're just very noisy. If a black bear is making noise, generally you're safe. Even taking their cubs away from them. If they're being noisy and blowing and teeth clacking, we've actually taken cubs away from the mother. I've been there. You know, right next to him, you know, hold yeah. my camera while, while, you know, a scientist uh, is actually pulling the cubs away from a mother, a wild mother. And she's, yeah, she's mad and she's upset and she's stomping the ground and, but she ain't doing anything. So mm. now let's take, let's say there's 4,000 Bigfoots in North America and that includes Canada um, or less. It's kind How of a you, numbers game. Yeah, I'm so, interested. Why do you, why do you say 4,000? I don't know. I'm just I'm going by all the um, sightings that I get in my my research areas, and I take that by you know what's unique about that area, how many areas are like this, and it's just kind of a simple mathematics problem in sixth grade yeah. level. He's mapping out the sewers, it. Michael. Come on. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, I was doing second grade level math in sixth grade, so don't ask me about numbers. But I just, you know, I think that there's certainly thousands of them. Let's say yeah. it's only 2,000. Let's say it's only 1,500 or 500 even. Sure. It's still enough maybe to a, to be a viable breeding population. Um, but I'm still, I'm sticking if, you know, if I was a betting man and I had to make a bet, I would bet 4,000 in all of North America. Hmm. Okay. And that's, 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 that's kind of where my bet, you know, it's kind of guess how many jelly beans are sure. in the jar. <laughs> I think it's a good guess. I really do. Yeah. It's like, whatever, you know, it's, I could be way off or I might be dead on, or it could be more for all we know. Hmm. I mean, 4,000 um, isn't that many. So that does, you know, that makes sense. No, because if you think most people in Minnesota, I would say 80% of the people have never seen a black bear. And there's, you know, 40,000 of them. 
So it's like a fourth. So if there were only 4,000 black bears, obviously the people that would have sightings in Minnesota would be very, very low. You know, it would be super low. But it seems like every third person I talk to has had a sighting or an experience or has a close friend or a relative that's had a sighting. And, you know, I just think there's so many people that, that never come forward, guys. Yeah, that, oh, was, I, I, that was what I was going to say. Yeah, you, you, we don't even know all the reports because people don't want to sound crazy. Well, yeah, yeah once think... again, we're guessing and we're in that lukewarm water. We're just guessing. Yeah. How many, you what know, percentage of people report their sightings? Well, there's the, there's an old great One, story from uh, Stanton Fried, Stanton Friedman. Do you know who he is? He was that nuclear physicist. He was a good friend of mine, actually. Oh, I no am. way. Of course. Oh, you, yeah, of course he, used he to was. Travel of course he was. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, tells, he tells a story where he was at a UFO symposium, and he, and, he, and he would ask the audience, how many people here out of, let's say, a crowd of 100 have seen a UFO? And maybe about 10% of the crowd would raise their hand. And he would say, okay, great. Now, out of those 10%, uh, keep your hands up, how many of you actually reported it? And about eight, seven to eight of those hands went down, left with only one or two, you know? And so out of all those 10% of people who actually see things, only 1% report. And I think the same might be true for Bigfoot eyewitnesses. I think there's so so. many reportings and sightings that people are just not even going to bother with reporting. They don't want to be ridiculed or... Well, most of the sightings are very uneventful and quick. Yeah, right. So there's nothing to report. I saw a black thing, just the tail end of it as it crossed the last three feet of the road. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, I, I just seeing things, whatever. It was a guy. Right. You know, those kind of sightings. And you know, even, the one, even the one I had um, up in Mille Lacs where we were only about four feet away, five feet away from it, and we had it in the headlights, there's still days I'm like, doubt, you know, even though I had a witness. Yeah, you still right. do the self-doubt. Tell us yeah. about that moment. Oh, we were just unexpected, of course, driving back from up north in Minnesota along um, Lax Lake, one of the biggest lakes in Minnesota. You can't see across it. It's so big. Mm. And we see as we're coming up on the road in my headlights um, in the high beams, we see something like we think it's a moose with its butt facing us and its antlers waving back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, we get closer and I was like, well, that ain't a moose. What is that? An elk doing that? Is you know, and, and then I'm like, holy crap, this is way bigger than a moose. And then we're seeing fingers and then we can see the arm and the hair hanging off the arms, and it's waving its arms um like a hula. And then we see the wind blowing Whoa. against its fur or its hair, and it looks like it's drying off in the wind. And it's waving its arms to help facilitate drying quicker. So when it goes back in the forest, you know, you can almost kind of figure out what's going on just by looking at it. Because what would I do if I had to come out of a hot, humid forest, came out for a nice, cool swim? What would I do before I went back into the humid forest? I would dry off. Yeah. It wasn't complicated. But man, did we get a good look at this thing. I mean, we could see its fingers really well and. You know, like I said, we're five feet from it. God. Did, did you see its face? Did it react no, it to the, being in the headlines? Yeah, yeah. If we would, if it would have been looking at us, I think at that point, um, 
it would have been, um, uh, you know, uh, I would have had to wipe my seat off. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because Man. it was already shocking enough to for both of us to see what we saw. And and then to see the face would have really, that would have been a whole nother ball game. That would have been level two. Yeah. You know, I no was kidding. at level one. Level two was would have been way worse. You know, it's wow. probably hard to to, you know, subscribe to the supernatural Bigfoot idea when you see a creature like that on the side of the road out in its yeah, environment standing there like a moose and you know, just it being and drying natural. You, use, yeah, using using drying wind to using dry the itself. wind to dry off. You're like, Oh, that's animal slash humanistic behavior. This thing is as right, real if it had as magical my... powers, guys. Yeah. Why would it need to dry off in the wind? <laughs> Have you ever seen Gandalf use a bath towel? No. No. Doug, what do you think about all these these dog man reportings, these wolf man? What's going on with that? Are you are you into the paranormal at all? Oh, like what what's sure, your of interest in that? I study yeah. it because I've, you know, it's it's a mystery. Yeah. And since and since I've opened my mind a little bit more for some odd reason, I've experienced with Yvette numerous things that we can't explain. Wow. In fact, to, to the point where she will not travel with me on my adventures oh my God. any longer. Yeah. You seem like There's a guy no we talk about this all the time on, on our podcast. Do you know who yeah. John Keel was, the famed 40 oh, yeah, investor? He often used to say, once you start looking into this phenomenon it will start looking back at you you seem like a guy who the phenomenon's like this guy's got a lot of fucking cameras so we're gonna we're gonna keep our eyes on doug hage hijack oh, you know all kinds of stuff seems to happen to you we, we've seen things probably one of the weirdest things we ever saw was driving back from cloquet minnesota beautiful evening full moon not a cloud in the sky stars out and we're driving along on 35W, and we see something drop out of the sky like a spider. Wow. And stop abruptly. You, you know when a spider just does that drop on his web? Yeah, yeah. He spins it and drops, and boom, he just, like, bounces when he gets to the where as far as he wants to go. So it does that, and then it starts heading right for my windshield. <laughs> and now, is this a, a, a light? Yeah. Uh no. No, it was reflection from the moon in the ambient light. We could see the shine on this thing. It wasn't putting oh. out any light at all. And all of a sudden, it's coming towards my car, kind of like seven feet up, mm -mm. heading right for the windshield directly no, to the no, point no, where no. you can hardly see movement because it's coming directly towards us. So we see the down movement. We see the stop. It's coming directly at us. And then it gets closer to the windshield. That's when Yvette ducked. That's mm. when I'm thinking, I need to duck. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming through the windshield. And, of course, I look at it. She looks at it. And we see what we can only describe as a gargoyle. What? Bat-like wings. Shut and up. Course, I tell my friends, you know, the people I know. I remember the first guy I told was my agent. Wow. And I said, you know, in Monster Quest, we've always refused to do these winged humanoid things that we keep getting asked to do. I said, I'm all in now. So yeah. I, I told him, I said, hi, we had our own sighting. I had my eyewitness. And he goes, oh, you must have seen an owl. Well, oh. And I'm like, uh, Dale, I said, the wings went across the entire width of the wow. freeway. It was not an owl. It was not a crane. I could see its face, its eyes, its ears. 
What did and it look I like? Thought, what did those face, like, what did the face look like? It looked I mean, I hate to use the word evil, but it looked mm-hmm. like a gargoyle. Yeah. Like a bat bat like face kind of um shiny skin, no feathers, uh bone you could see the bone structure in the wings. What color of eyes? I black. Blacker mm. than black. Yep. Mm-hmm. No reflection, no light. And then, um, so you have to understand how life-changing that is. Because I would not want to go back out with you after that. <laughs> no, you wouldn't even want to, no, trust me, guys. You wouldn't, yeah. want to be, you wouldn't even want to accommodate me when I go take the garbage out. <laughs> this podcast might be enough, right? We're like, oh, my gosh. So <sighs> it becomes um, a little mind-altering. Yeah. And, you know, I could go on because, like, me and Yvette have seen so many things together. Thank God. You know, we've always had a witness. But, like, the last thing we saw that was really odd were two bright pink, Pepto-Bismol pink orbs mm. that were fairly – and they were fairly high when we first saw them. And then we pulled over because they were so bright pink. There were two of them traveling together. Um I pulled over and they came, of course, these pink orbs come right to our car, right over the windshield. And then, of course, one zips up and the one blinked off. Basket, are we talking we'll basketball look, size here? What, yeah, how big? basketball. That's mm-hmm. kind of be, would be my guess. But bright pink, <sighs> like really fluorescent pink. Doug, Never did, seen a light in the sky. That did, you, did you have any of these experiences that you recall when you were a kid at all? Actually, no. That's this so is what's strange. interesting because I never, I never slept inside. I don't care, yeah. you know, from age, probably I would say probably about age eight through my entire teens in the summer, not one night inside. Yeah. In many cases, out under the stars, never saw a UFO, never saw an orb, saw satellites occasionally, but we knew where there were satellites. The only weird thing that ever happened in that many years was one time we were walking around in a neighbor in my neighborhood and we came upon my, oh God, I hate to say one of my teachers homes Mm -hmm. and we saw the lights inside the home on the upstairs and the ground floor blinking and strobing in very unique, random ways. Mm. And me and my buddy sat and watched that. And it was so bizarre. It was like, like, you know, blink, blink, like lightning was going off in their home. Weird. Upstairs in this bedroom, this room, this room, this room, but all over. Um, Whoa. We watched that for quite a while and then it stopped. That was the only weird thing I ever saw when I was a kid. Yeah. Mm. And so, do, you, do you feel like the moment it clicked on was when you found those tracks in the Arctic? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I had some things occasionally through the years, but not many, you know, very, you pretty much felt like life was normal. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, more and more things started happening, but I didn't, I still don't associate any of them to Bigfoot. If right, other people right. hearing my story want to associate them, fine. I mean, even up at Snell, we've seen orbs mm, and numerous, yeah. like every year we'd always see at least one orb, at least one. Mm-hmm. That would go end up going right into the forest or above the treetops. At one time, we saw a red one, and that was the one my son was with. Um, Josh, my oldest son, was with on that trip, and we saw a red orb come off an island right in front of the cabin, 
go up right to about tree level above and then sink back down. Wow. And look, uh, it was the exact color of a taillight on a car, which, of course, in the middle of a lake, you know, hundreds of miles from the nearest road is not, not likely. Right. Um, so there you go. I mean, but things happen far enough apart where you still think life's normal until all of a sudden you go, hmm, that wasn't normal. Yeah. yeah. You're speaking to two people that have had situations like that happen to them. So I, I get mm. that. I'm curious, um, side sidetracking just slightly, but sure. in the in, in the areas where you've like Snell Grove or some of these areas where you've encountered perhaps Sasquatch or orbs, any stories of women in white walking in the woods or on the side of the road, any weird ghost stories that pop out at you or any strange phenomenon like um, screams or babies oh, sure. crying, oh, yeah. any, anything like I've that. I've heard lots of screams. And I mean, I've, I've heard the screams up close within feet of me, mm-hmm. them making the screams um, like at Snell. I mean, it sounded like they were killing each other. Mm. Um, actually, like they were arguing. It sounded like they were arguing amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Or screaming. They're like two parents screaming at a kid, freaking out, panicking. Is kind of what it reminded me of. And then there's running on the roof at Snell. Jeez. Was there a juvenile up on the roof and these things were trying to get the juvenile down? <laughs> I don't know, but that's what I envisioned because that's what it sounded like. That's yeah. so weird. And then the rocking of the cabin, it all kind of smacked of, you know, there was a juvenile that leaped up on the roof. Right. You know, yeah, right. Based on, based on me flicking on a solar powered light in the complete pitch darkness and all of a sudden yeah. me lighting up facing the forest. And that's when all the screaming started um but i've yeah i've experienced in fact even when i was a kid one time i did hear a scream in the woods that sounded like um basically a woman being murdered yep. but with a okay. low voice mm-hmm. like a woman like a 12 foot tall woman right <laughs> being murdered could have been maybe a lynx but i doubt it because Back in those days, man, we didn't have anything. You never saw an eagle, a deer, a lynx, a bob. You saw nothing. There was yeah. no wildlife when I was a kid. It was all killed. You know, it mm. was there was non-existent. You mean uh, killed those... by people or or? Yeah, there was no wildlife. People don't realize there was no wildlife in the sixties and seventies. There was none. That's not, that I've never heard this before. I would think it would be less oh now God. than it was then. Oh my Just god! Because everyone oh was hunting. God. There was there was no um, there was no um, big game status, for instance, for bears. So they were mm. slaughtered. There mm. was no eagles. They were all dead from DDT and poisons. There were no birds yeah. of prey. There were no um, um, uh, hardly any birds. They were That's all dead. There were wild. no songbirds. I never saw. I see red cardinals now every day. Goldfinches, blue jays. When I was a kid, we never saw one because there weren't any. All the songbirds would all migrate down to South America, um, even when we quit using DDT, and they would die down there. And so they would they would never make it back Jeez. to Minnesota, you know, to migrate Man. up here. There that were no is... there was no deer. When when somebody saw a deer in the seventies in or the sixties, late sixties, it would make the paper. Wow. 
That I mean, let that sink in. That's wild. I never, I never knew that. Oh my god! And then the wildlife has been coming back. There were no like wild turkeys. I can't drive two blocks without seeing fifty wild turkeys. Yeah. Fox, coyotes, deer everywhere. Uh, eagles soaring all over. You know, we see two, three eagles every time I go to the gas station. I see two, three eagles. Um, there was nothing. I used to drive from Minneapolis to Key West. Like every other week, sometimes back way back, never saw anything. Never even saw a deer. Never Jeez. saw a bird of prey. You think about that. I mean, that's you know two two thousand miles, and to yeah. not see one animal in two thousand mile trip there and back. That's how rare wildlife was back in the old days. Oh, now it's... people have no idea. It's way more now. That's a nice wow. reminder that conservation and, and protection yes. of wildlife programs do, in fact, work and that, you know, things oh. can look uh, when the world can seem so dim and, and glum at sometimes. It's good to know that, you know, well, the, we the are thing, we the, are pulling ourselves up and, and, and the animals, too, oh in, my some, God. in the, some degrees, you know. The other thing, too, that you guys may or not, maybe aren't aware of because no one's ever talked about it is the air is so clean now compared to when I was a kid. Right. Yeah, wow. I've heard that about Los Angeles oh for sure. Oh, my God, it's night and day. I mean, one, our, our all of our carbureted, carbureted cars, there was so much gas fumes that went off in the air and exhaust. And lead. And lead. <laughs> you smelled nothing but, but gas fumes when you drove in a car. You smell like a gasoline station when you got out of a car in the old days. Wow. Um, no wonder you wanted to go out in the woods. <laughs> and everybody, oh my god! And then everybody burned their garbage. The, I love the smell of I love the smell of gasoline. That would that would explain a lot. And then in, uh, in the cities and the suburbs, everybody burned all their trash, plastic, spray cans, talk. Everything got burned every night, and the whole sky filled with black smoke. Wow! So you smelled. You you went to sleep every night, breathing in thick, nasty, toxic smoke. Okay, man. So, um, people have no idea. The air is like I would I would guess a hundred times cleaner than the '60s and '70s. Now, amazing. That's great. Let's keep it going. Yeah, <laughs> way to go, us. Maybe uh, maybe the closer we get, maybe actually then Bigfoot will come out of the woods and hang out with us. <laughs> you keep could doing happen. your part, and I'll do mine. I'll finally <laughs> lay down on a lab table for you. Uh, well, Doug, I, even even lakes are cleaner. The water's yeah. cleaner. People think it isn't. They're wrong. It's so much cleaner. Everything. Well, yeah. one thing is for certain, Doug. We are going to need to have you back because uh, I feel like we've barely even just scratched the surface with you. I mean, you proved uh, that giant squid exists. We didn't even I, get yes. to that. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah, no, you it's, know, just, I, it's it's fun. There's obviously um, uh, lots of things we can discuss. No, well, no. no. You know, you seem like the type of guy that we, we we really like talking to and admire. You're out there, you know, pursuing and following your dreams, uh, you know, doing scientific work, but also, you know, helping to look into these stranger aspects uh, that inhabit our planet. And, yeah, man, we, we, we so enjoyed talking we, to you. Doug, we where can a, we, we live in we, an amazing world? We um, live in such an amazing world, and you're helping yeah, to, to show us that. 
we know where we can find we don't know where we can find bigfoot out in the woods but uh doug where can where can people find you and some of your work today well um probably the best thing to do is to get a hold of me then when you get a hold of me is on facebook um they can message me um and then you know we have a podcast um every wednesday called untold radio yes um, people can join the chat room and talk to me directly every wednesday um i've got um a number of of projects going with legend means science too um being filmed right now and that's incredible done. and so yeah we've got a lot of cool cool things coming down the pike amazing Man. well when that comes out when that's ready we'll have you back on the show uh and and discuss that and get back into it because i know our listeners are loving this conversation no doubt so, about it thank you doug yeah it was good meeting you guys and thank you yeah Awesome. Yeah, I hope that book gets made. It needs to get made. I want to read that. I'm I'm pre-ordering right now. Okay, good. Yeah, we, we'll get your name written down. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks so much, Doug. We really okay. appreciate having you. you on the show. Wow. <laughs> that is that wild, guy, man. You that guy's my hero now. <laughs> I know. I feel I I free I feel like I forgot to now I can include experiencer amongst his many titles of super producer, inventor, camera inventor. The guy also sounds like he's experienced all types of high strangeness. This guy's getting rocked in a cabin by Bigfoot. He's having gargoyles <laughs> flying at his car. He's seeing Dude, my, Pepto-Bismol orbs. Oh I got to ask you. So like if, if we've talked about it before, if Robert Bigelow is like the Tony Stark of the UFO world, Doug Hyagisek's got to be in there somewhere, right? Oh, like, uh, yeah. He? At, easily. He is the Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Perfect. Four. He's inventing Perfect. things. He's going to strange worlds. You know, uh, his <laughs> wife is tagging along. It's complete. Right, his his right. kids are Perfect. there. Hundred percent Reed Richards. You know, Amazing. absolutely. He's Mr. Fantastic. Um, also just what a great guy. I mean, I, we, yeah. we absolutely have to get him back on the show. That was a blast. And I hope you guys thought the same. Um, well, that's it for this week. Uh, we want to thank Doug one last time, Bryce, do you have anything to plug before we am scray? Absolutely. I do just keep watching expedition Bigfoot. We are in season three, which is premiering right now on the travel channel, Sunday nights, 10, nine central, as well as streaming on discovery plus, uh, you are not going to want to miss it. We are getting into the strange. That's right. And if you're watching and you want to hear Bryce talk more in depth about the show, like I said, we're going to be doing that over on the other side, uh, all season long. Um, let's see. I have another podcast all about being an actor in Hollywood. You can hear me interview with actors, including some past favorite guests from this show on Slate Your Name, which drops every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Um, all right, we're gonna head over to the other side right now. As a matter of fact, we'll see some of you there on Friday. For everybody else, we'll see you next time. Until then, good night and go get regressed. I was supposed to say goodnight, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm thinking about I, gargoyles now. I Dude, I know. I was like... Oh
Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.